Hello and welcome to the Fitness for Sport podcast by Athletic Strength UK. This is your host, Connor Stewart. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fitness for Sport podcast. Thank you very much for listening as always. Firstly, apologies, apologies for the late arrival of this podcast. As always, life sometimes just gets in the way and that is what's happened. But fear not, the episode is here and we are ready to go and ready to dive in. So this episode is all about using research to inform your training and how to correctly use research to inform your training. I see all the time online, whether this would be a so-called influencer or somebody who wouldn't be considered an influencer, whether they have 400,000 followers, 500,000 followers, or just five followers, they all make the same mistakes. And it drives me nuts because they will call themselves evidence-based but it's the loosest form of evidence. And it really drives me mad because there is seven, or there are, I should say, seven different bits of criteria. And it sounds like a lot, but it's not really. They're like tick boxes, almost, that you just have to go through to make sure that you are using research correctly and you're using the right type of research and you're not putting all your eggs in one basket, as it were. So the first point is that the research you should be looking into or if you have been pointed to a piece of research, the first important point, obviously, is that it needs to be related to what you're trying to improve. So this goes for whether it's strength, speed, power, hypertrophy, nutrition, whatever it may be, you need to be reading something that is obviously related to that. If you're trying to, for example, lose body fat on a ketogenic diet, just using this as as an example, okay, I'm not advocating for losing body fat on a ketogenic diet, I'm just using this as an example. You need to be reading research around ketogenic diets and fat loss or weight loss or something like that. It's no good looking at intermittent fasting. It's no good at looking at if it fits your macros type research. It needs, you need to be reading what is related to what you're trying to improve. And it sounds really obvious and it, it almost sounds like one of those things where why would anybody do that? But trust me, it happens. I've seen it, I've talked to people, and they, for some reason, they just forget this first step. So, once we have gone past this first step, and, it's, and it'll be pretty easy to know when you've gone past this first step because it'll likely be in the title. The second thing we need to work out is are we reading a single study, or is it a systematic review, or maybe even a meta analysis? So for those who think I've just spoken French or something, a systematic review collates all of the relevant research in the certain topic, field, whatever, evaluates all and then comes to a conclusion at the end based off of the conclusions of the 
previous studies. So it almost does your job for you. If you can find a systematic review on a subject, then that's really the only thing you actually have to read, depending on when the systematic review came out. Um, has there been any more research done since that systematic review? Is there more than one review? There are a few caveats to this, but overall, if you can find a systematic review, then a lot of, like I said, a lot of the work is done for you. You can come to a much stronger conclusion of the topic. Now, if you can then find a meta-analysis of the subject, then that is even better. That's the absolute goldmine, because whereas a systematic review only collates the research and then comes to a conclusion of from that, a meta-analysis will come to a objective numerical value as to the quality of the research as well as the overall conclusion. Don't ask me how they come about this because I'm not entirely sure. I just know that a meta-analysis goes like one level deeper than a systematic review. With a systematic review, you get a common conclusion of the research. With a meta-analysis, you get the common conclusion and you get a objective analysis as to the quality of that conclusion. So the research you're looking to look, looking into for let's say the ketogenic diet and fat loss all the research might be really low quality but with all due respect you or i aren't going to know that because we're not researchers we're not in that field so we wouldn't know however somebody who's done a meta-analysis on the ketogenic diet for fat loss might actually see that all the research is just absolute trash. It's not done very well, it's really low quality, it's not controlled very well, and so you can't really trust the results. And so therefore, that's what the meta-analysis will show. Whereas the systematic review might just show the results, the meta-analysis, like I said, goes one layer deeper, and it's just more information for you to have, really. So once we've got the past the first two hurdles, we have ticked off those boxes or not. Oh, before we move on, just a word about reading a single study. Don't ever base everything you do off of reading one study. Because especially with sports science research and nutrition research, whatever you're reading, there is always going to be a study that argues against what is said in your piece of research. If you are using one paper to evaluate and base everything you do off of, then you're sort of flawed from the start because there might, whilst you found the one, maybe two papers that support what you're doing, you might be ignoring the four, five, six that refute what you're saying. Now, I'm not saying that research is always going to be right necessarily. I'm not saying that research always reflects what can happen in real life because when using human participants, when doing things like exercise science, nutrition science, there are a lot of variables which, you, which will occur in real life that 
won't occur during research. So it's really important to just keep that in mind and not hang your hat on one piece of research and just be mindful that you also might get different results, but we'll get onto that bit later. The third point to get to is, are participants in your study the same as you or the people you work with or what you're trying to look for? If you are, let's take myself for example, I'm a 25 year old amateur rugby player who is mildly strength trained. I'm, you know, I'm not strength trained to a very high level, but I am strength trained. So there's no point in me reading research that has used professional American footballers who can squat 600 pounds and bench 450 pounds and train four or five times a week and do all these things because they are completely different people to me and if the participants in the study aren't reflective of who you are or who you are trying to work with then you just throw the paper away don't even bother it's honestly not worth it because you're not going to get the same results you are basing what you're doing off of a huge flaw and it's just not it's not good evidence for for you to use the point of using research is that you want to get repeated results either using what they did or using similar methods to what they did and if you can't match the participants to the to you or to the people who you're working with then you're never going to be able to get repeatable results and therefore what's the point in using the research if it's if, if you're not going to get that because it's not informing anything you're not getting any use out of it so just throw it away just move on just go to the next one make sure you're finding research articles that have participants that are similar to you is it's that simple and it goes back to the first point i know it sounds really ridiculous to say and i know it sounds common sense but believe me this happens and it happens with people who would consider themselves quote-unquote experts or the best at what they do and it's eye-opening because the people on the other end don't necessarily understand all this stuff and you know it's their job to educate and they're not educating properly so here we go i'm here educating the world as it were so the fourth point is is the methodology and the equipment used applicable to what you have if the research study uses things like a force plate a gym aware or some sort of high-tech level equipment it's I'm willing to put a lot of money on the fact that you do not have access to that if the top professional clubs in most top professional sports don't have access to things like force plates gym aware some other uh, measuring fancy measuring devices then there's no way you at your commercial gym are going to have it so just 
get rid of that piece of research. It's going, you're gonna spend a lot of time reading it, a lot of time trying to understand it, and it's never gonna do anything for you. So just get rid of it. In that same vein though, if for example, you are reading a piece of research about how to increase your top speed, and the research study has used a heavy sled drag. Now you might not have a sled at your facility, but what do you have? If you have a techno gym skill mill, you could crank the resistance up on that and use that. You could use some weights attached to a battle rope. You can replicate the methodology as far as it goes to things like loading and um, placement of the load. So for example, the fancy piece of research which uses force plates and gym aware equipment and all of this, they might have been evaluating something to do with a barbell back squat compared to a rear foot elevated split squat, for example. Now you can replicate that portion because you can use barbell back squats and rear foot elevated split squats and you can load them in the same way and you can do the same uh, reps and sets and loading patterns and things, the proper wording is eluding me at the moment. That's the stuff you can replicate. But again, just be mindful that you're going to get different results and don't be surprised if you don't absolutely replicate what they saw in the study. But you need to you do need to be adaptable and loading exercises in similar ways is a, is a good way to make sure that you're replicating the study as best you can. Right, I'm going to make point number 5 brief because it can be a bit boring and it can be a bit brain melting. So point number five is the statistical analysis. If a paper only uses p-values or uses statistical significance to work out their results, then I wouldn't bother reading that. I would get rid of it and find a paper that uses more in-depth analysis because the more in-depth you can go, the more you can ascertain whether they've, number one, have got a real result or not, and number two, whether it is like an achievable result as well. So for example, you might find paper that uses magnitude-based inferences, and so the results at the end will be something like very likely positive change or likely negative change or unclear, and those are much more real. It's a much more real world analysis of the results and how effective the training or protocol has been. Now, I'm not expecting you all to understand what that means, but what you should take away from this point is that just find papers or use papers that have multiple um, like layers to their statistical analysis. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Number six, this is the absolute bugbear. This is my pet peeve 
uh, to when people say they are research-based. You need to read the whole damn paper, okay? If you want to say you are evidence-based and that you use evidence to inform your training and you like to use research, read the whole damn thing. If you only read the abstract of a paper, that's like just eating the icing off the cake. The only bits that get put in the abstract are the best bits of the paper. So the authors are gonna make their paper look amazingly good. They're gonna make it sound like the best. They use the best protocols, the best participants, the best analysis, and they've got the best results ever because it's the icing on the cake. It's just a snapshot of the paper that essentially it's there so that the journal reviewers can quickly look at it and decide as like a first layer approach whether they're going to have it in their journal or not. So obviously the authors are going to make it like as amazing as possible and you do not get the whole picture of what went on during the research by just using the abstract. Now I understand that research can be hard to come by. There's this whole issue with, you know, universities get paid to put research through certain journals, which then require subscriptions, which are extortionate, etc., etc. But there are places online such as researchgate.com where you can get papers for free. Authors will upload their research papers to ResearchGate and you can get their research articles for free. So there's almost no excuse to not reading a whole paper because if you can't get the whole paper from somewhere, always check ResearchGate. If it's not on ResearchGate, if you really want to use that paper, you can always just get in contact with the author. They usually are quite happy to send over papers. I've done it before. Um, so if you really want it, it's there. And really there's no excuse not to have it. If you can't, if you really truly cannot get hold of a paper, and you only have the abstract to go by, don't bother using it because you're not getting the whole snapshot. You're not getting all the methodology, all the statistical analysis, all the discussion and conclusions. And those are all the things that are most important. The most important bit of a paper is the discussion and conclusion, but you need to know the intro and methodology to fully understand the discussion. So you've got to read the whole thing and you've got to be able to look at it critically and not just blindly say well this proves my point because the abstract said that ketogenic diets are best for fat loss at this level or at you know this success rate or this percentage or this this or that once you dive into the paper you might find some really glaring evidence to the contrary like the participants didn't all fill out diet diaries they weren't all on the same exercise program there were so many uncontrolled variables and that doesn't come out in the abstract and it really this really gets my gears if you want to use evidence to inform your practice then please just get the whole paper if i ever reference papers on a blog they will 
98% of the time be the full article and if it's not the full article for whatever reason then it has been referenced in there because it is an important it is still an important part but 98% of the time you will be able to get the full article if you want the full article and you can't find it from the blog post please just get in contact and I'll be I'll find it and send it over to you no problem and the final part is implement you've got to go away and put it into practice there's no point in reading it and then not doing it if you're reading about a certain type of loading strategy for strength gains in football players then go away and try it with either yourself or get your football player mate along to the gym and try this new way and if it doesn't work it doesn't work and move on to the next one so that's it those are the seven points to quickly recap number one is make sure that you're reading the subjects that you're trying to improve number two is the paper that you're reading a single study or is it a systematic review or meta-analysis? Number three, are the participants in the study the same as you or who you are working with? Number four, is the methodology and equipment applicable to the facilities that you have? Number five, read and understand the statistics. Number six, read the damn paper, read the whole thing. Number seven, implement. I hope this wasn't too boring for you all. I hope you came away with some good pointers into what actually being an evidence-based practitioner is and how to use evidence to inform your training. I hope you can go away and start noticing certain people online using just abstracts of research to support what they say. And hopefully we can get a better quality of everything that's going on. Thank you very much for listening today. I really appreciate it. I will be back next week with another episode of the Fitness for Sport podcast. If you would like me to cover a specific topic or area, please do get in contact uh, through Instagram at athleticstrengthuk or email athleticstrengthuk at gmail.com. If not, I hope you are having an amazing time wherever you are. I'm trying to, or I'm in process of getting the first guest on the podcast, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, that might not be done for a while, but we'll get there. Anyway, I shall leave you be. Thank you very much for listening. I shall speak to you later. Goodbye. That's it for another episode of the Fitness for Sport podcast. Thank you very much for listening. This is the part where I tell you to go and sign up to the mailing list. Now, if you want free training advice and guidance every day, then make sure you click the description in the show notes or you go to yes.athleticstrengthuk.co.uk forward slash sign underscore up and you will get a new email in your inbox every Monday to Friday with free training advice, free guidance from everything from weight training, power training, speed training to mental health and all the rest. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to sign up. Click the link in the show notes and I shall see you next time.